like to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to join me in Romans chapter 3. The Romans, as an empire, were known for their roads, highway system. First of its kind, in fact, if you were to travel and look, you can still see evidence of roads that they constructed. And here, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter. He's writing a letter to real people in a real church, in real time, dealing with real issues. And in a way, he will walk us down another Romans road. Romans, as far as I am concerned, is perhaps within Scripture the greatest treatise on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's writing to these real people in this real church, in a real city, in real time, with real issues, he is paving a road to reconciliation. He is declaring unto them truth which is inescapable and non-negotiable, and it is the road of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, he portrays vividly what a society looks like when it is godless, when it is confronted with the reality of creator God and chooses to disbelieve and grows more wicked with every passing generation. In fact, it is communicated here in Romans 1 and 2 that all humanity is without excuse. The fact is creation itself declares unto us the reality of God. And written on the hearts of man is the law of God, an awareness of right and wrong. All of us stand guilty before a perfect and holy God. And by the time we arrive in Romans chapter 3, in my mind, the Apostle Paul is working as a prosecuting attorney. Inspired by God, he begins to articulate man's guilt in sin before a holy and righteous and just God. And I'm going to read just a few verses here in Romans chapter 3. I'll direct your attention to verse 10 first. And in verse 10 of Romans chapter 3, as he writes, he says, As it is written, this is from the time past, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You read those three verses, you don't feel real good about yourself. There's none that understandeth, there's none that doeth good, there's none that's seeking it out, and he'll sum it up in the 23rd verse when he says, for, this is why, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All humanity has sinned and come short, fallen short of God's expectation and God's holiness and God's glory. On this day in particular, it is my desire to simply communicate unto you the reality of salvation, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 3 verse 23, I've just delivered unto you a universal mandate. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, as the Apostle Paul writes that phrase, inherent in the language, he's not necessarily talking to us about the amount of sins that we have committed, and certainly we have committed sins. All of us have been children. Children are notorious sinners. How many of you know that? Children are notorious sinners. They will tell lies because it comes natural to them. 
They will be selfish. They demand and desire their own way. Wrapped up inside of them is sin that shows up often. But I've learned this. Little children become teenagers who also sin. Teenagers become 20-somethings who are pretty bad at sinning. 20-somethings start to lie about their age in their 30s, which is a sin. And by the time they get to 40s, you're so senile, you're just delinquent in your behavior. We're not even going to talk about the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, and does anybody even make it to 80 anymore? And the 80s and the 90s. The fact is, he's not talking about the amount of sins that we commit. But he is speaking to the nature of our sinfulness. He's not talking about individual acts of corruption that we have to remember over a lifetime, but the condition of our character. So for him to make a statement that grand, to be that direct, it is got to be founded on some truth. All of you have sinned and all of you have come short of the glory of God. How can you say that? You've never met my grandma and grandma is so sweet. Grandma's a sinner. I've always wanted to say that in the pulpit. Your grandma's a sinner and grandma, if you're here, you know it. How can he say that? He writes this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. He said, I can tell you that all humanity is under the penalty of sin, because if we trace it back to the fountainhead, Adam, Adam sinned. And the penalty for Adam's sin was death. And Adam passed that sin on to every succeeding generation beyond him. All have sinned because sin entered the world through Adam and death by sin. I can say unto you universally, we're all sinners. Now, why would he have to say to us, I'm not really talking about the amount of sins, but the nature of your sinfulness. Because every one of us imagines we're probably not the worst person here on the property. How many of you think on this property today, this is service number two, we started at nine this morning, probably you're not the worst person on the property today. There's somebody here that's worse than you. If you're not raising your hand, again, that's just not true because you've looked around and you're like, that guy, that lady, that person parked too close to my car. They're worse than I am. I assure you, I've met several of you. I am not the worst person on this property. He knows that we would deliberate. He knows that we would negotiate. If it was about the amount of our sins, we could always find somebody more sinful than us. And so he's not talking about the amount of sins we've committed and we look out at the world and we see genocide and we see murder and we see vile acts and we think, well, those people certainly are sinners, but not church attending, charitable contribution. Me, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means truly we cannot glorify God. We cannot honor God as he desires us to do. We can't do it. Inherently, we cannot do it. That means you and that means me. There's no way for us to reach heaven. There's no way for us to get across the great divide between our sinfulness and God's holiness, our corruption and God's glory. There's no way save one. We'll continue traveling down the road as the Apostle Paul paints this treatise of the gospel. We jump forward three chapters, and in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I'm sure this is familiar to you. He says, for the wages of sin is death. 
I wish at times, as a preacher and a steward of the truth, that the Apostle Paul was a little more sensitive in his writing. Because he pulls no punches when he says, for the wages of sin is death. That's non-negotiable. That's not up to be argued. This is fact. The wages of sin is death. I don't like that reality. I don't want to sense guilt. I hate shame. So naturally, I push back against conviction of my sins. I push back against the fact that my life generates consequences on the other end. I don't like it. And so largely, we have removed conviction of sin from gospel presentations. It's just easier. We have removed the penalty for our sins And we'll use a word here that is rarely used in pulpits anymore and the reality of an eternal hell. Because to confront that eternity in hell, to confront consequence for my sin and conviction against my actions doesn't make me feel good. And so I have to market the gospel in this way. Let's accept Jesus as a better way of life. You can help more poor people and you can live a little cleaner if you'll accept Jesus. Maybe we'll tell people life's easier if you're with Jesus. The fact is we are damned to eternal punishment in hell without Jesus and we have no hope outside of him. It's not a better way of life. We have to confront people with the fact that we're sinners. Well, not a bad one, but a sinner nonetheless. And not just a sinner, a sinner who is going to pay with physical death. We're dealing with that now. The consequence, the wage of sin is death. You realize early on in the garden there was no death. And when you get a little further into the book of Genesis, you're introduced to death. It is a consequence of sin. All of us are going to die. But there is a secondary balloon payment, as it were, of death in eternity. Now we don't like, again, to think about hell. It's a terrifying thought. We don't want to be confronted with sin. One Greek writer said this, There is no Greek word more emphatic for eternal than the one used of hell in the New Testament. Now let's study this out. Let's just be students of the Bible just for a second. He goes on to say, 64 times the same Greek word used to describe the eternality of hell is used to remind us of the eternality of heaven. Hell is an eternal, unending, physical, real state of separation from God, just as heaven is an eternal, unending, physical, and real state of union with God. If I were to stop and say to you, isn't it good to know we have everlasting life through Jesus Christ? We're comforted. Isn't it good to know that heaven is for all eternity? We're happy about that. But the same Greek word that describes unto us the eternality of heaven is used to declare unto us the eternality of hell. And man, I don't like that. Do you know who I am? Do you see how successfully I have navigated life? Certainly I've made some mistakes. Maybe there have been some lapses in judgment. But to call me a sinner is unfair. To say that I don't merit heaven does not jive with my own theology for myself. Sorry. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, and I'm going to jump down all the way to verse 14 in Revelation chapter 20. John is being given a vision by God, and he's declaring unto us the reality of the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, all of life 
is now laid bare before a holy God who sits as judge and he looks at us and he judges us on the fact that we have not paid for our sins or our sins have been paid for. And if your sins have been paid for, you're not at the great white throne judge. It's a whole nother doctrinal talk. But here's what we read in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, John, could you have made that a little more palatable for the masses? Been to a lot of lakes, enjoy a lot of lakes, a lake of fire, not so much. Don't want to swim in the lake of fire, certainly don't want to be in there for all of eternity. You want to know what is an unpopular message in our world? To tell a world who is striving to do good, that there's nothing they can do, that there's no good in them, that they are sinners. You want to make it less popular? Tell them, by the way, all humanity, without an intervention from Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity in the lake of fire. I like how Spurgeon, who pastored in the 1800s, preached it. And if I preach it like him, you can't get mad at me. You have to get mad at him. And you think to yourself, well, that's 1800s. How did they preach in the 1800s? Here's what he said from his pulpit concerning hell. There is a real fire in hell. As truly as you have a real body, Only it will not consume you, though it will torture you. Your body will be prepared by God in such a way that it will burn forever without being consumed. With your nerves laid raw by searing flame, yet never desensitized for all its raging fury, and the acrid smoke of the fumes searing your lungs and choking your breath, you will cry out for the mercy of death, but it shall never, never, never come. Yeah, I'm not going back next week to the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear that. We have eliminated conviction of sin, and we have eliminated consequence for sin. We have denied the reality that because we are sinners in our natural state, we are the enemies of a holy and righteous God, and peace has to be mediated between us and God. My sinful condition puts me at enmity with a holy God. How can I navigate the mediation of that peace? I struggle with that. That's how unforgiven sin is dealt with, the eternality of hell. We'll jump forward to Romans chapter 5. Listen now. Because I think this pivot helps me a lot. In Romans chapter 5, we read this. For when we were yet without strength, and that phrase, without strength, you ready for me to really pull this out? It means powerless. Really, if you study it out, it means not even the strength to lift one finger. When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely. For a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God, he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Stop and be amazed by the love of God. Paul says, look, there's nobody that we know that's going to die for a dirty, rotten, scoundrel jerk. Now, we can tell a few hero stories where somebody died for some good people and for a good cause, but God, and he pivots, but think of this. Every hero story you've ever heard pales in comparison to this, but God, who is holy and righteous and perfect, died for us who are sinners. 
Paul is drawing this contrast as plainly as he can. Be amazed at the love of God that he died for us in our place while we were, he died for the ungodly. That's stunning scripture to read. God so loved the world. The world is so full of sinners. I am one of those sinners, therefore God loves me. God loves me even though I am a sinner. Sinner's a big word. Sinners, sinner, sinner, sinner. What does sinner mean? You study out sinner and it simply was used in the Greek world of an archer or a marksman who would miss the mark. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was somebody who missed a divinely appointed path. And so what is literally being taught to us in Scripture is, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your last name is, I don't care about your education, I don't care about your wealth status, I don't care about what churches you've attended, here's what I know. All are sinners. Every one of us have shot our shot at life and we have missed the mark of the righteousness of God. All of us have shot our shot at life and we've missed the mark of the holiness of God. That's terribly bad news. A sinner isn't necessarily somebody who has gone far astray in wicked living. A sinner is somebody who is born. There is no real level to this thing. We're all sinners. The good news is that if you are a sinner, you happen to be one of the people that God happens to love because if you can believe it, God loves sinners like you and me. So much so, the Bible says, that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus never knew sin. Now, now, just stop for a second. Think theologically. The fountainhead of humanity's sin is Adam. Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, in the womb of a virgin, does not have that fountainhead of sin. And then the Bible tells us, not only was he not sinner by nature, he lived out his life tempted in every way like we were tempted. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus had to deal with a denier like Peter and a betrayer like Judas. Jesus had to deal with arrogant guys like James and John. Jesus was hunted by the Pharisees. Don't tell me there wasn't a time where he wanted to shoot lightning out of his finger at some of the Pharisees. Right in the face. And he could have, whatever. But he never capitulated to petulant anger. He was tempted just like us and never, ever sinned. And so when it came time to pay for sin before a holy and just God, where we stand there powerless, incapable of even lifting a finger because we are sinners by nature, Jesus steps into our place and willingly lays down his life as a sacrifice for us, never having sinned. And so God in his righteousness looks upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and says, I accept that as propitiation for the sin of all humanity. Big Bible word, don't be afraid of it. It's cool to use them. Justify people because of what Jesus did, because there's nothing Chris can do if he'll simply capitulate to this already laid out plan, he can have salvation. That's what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do I do? In Romans chapter 10, he's talking plainly. Remember, real people, real issues, real time, real church. He's sharing to them the reality of reconciliation, and here's what he says. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth 
the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's Sunday. The Washington football team has a bye week, thank God. It was the only weeks we win, bye weeks. You say, well, you're talking football in church in the midst of a gospel presentation. What I'm telling you is that tends to be on my mind on Sundays. And what's on my mind on Sundays comes out of my mouth. And it's the same for you. And here's what's being portrayed. When you are confronted with the mandate that is non-negotiable from the prosecuting attorney that is the Holy Spirit via Paul, that you are a sinner. And the wages of your sin is death in an eternal hell for all time and you realize that you are a sinner, and you feel and sense the conviction of your sins, and you have faith compelling you to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, it will inevitably come out of your mouth. What you believe in your heart, you speak out to God. That's what he's communicating to us. I believe he's just telling us salvation comes to the person who believes in their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks that the only way of salvation is Jesus. You can't good your way to heaven. And a lot of people bake today. You can't bake your way to heaven. I would encourage everyone here to drop multiple envelopes in the offering boxes on the way out, but you can't give your way to heaven. Man, that would be a great selling point. If you could, we'd have the second building now. Because a lot of you are so bad, you would just make up for it in the box. You can't work your way to heaven You can't help old ladies across the street and get to heaven. There's only one way, and we don't like the truth. We're sinners, and we're uncomfortable with the guilt and the shame that is associated with our sin, and we hate the reality of the consequence for it, but the fact is, it's there, and if we will confront it and capitulate and surrender to God on his plan, we can be justified by faith, justified by faith. And have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hate tension. Do you hate tension? Have you ever had a, an argument or a disagreement with your spouse in the morning? Maybe not. Perhaps you understand the language I'm speaking. And you leave the house and there is a bit of tension in the air. Is there not? Because you are aware that at some point we are going to reconvene under that same roof. And well, we're going to have to deal with this. Or not. And that's a recipe for a bad marriage, the or not part. But we live with this angst because we know when we walk back in the door, this tension, this disruption, this disagreement exists when we ultimately meet again. And so 999,999 times out of a million, I have to send a text or make a phone call that says something like, I'm sorry, I'm a jerk. I should not have said what I said. I'm a petulant child. Something that really, really exposes the reality of the situation. And you know what that can do? When I arrive at the house and we meet again and I'm ultimately back in the presence, the tension has been eradicated because I have capitulated. I have acknowledged my failure and my sin. I am telling you that there isn't one person in here who is going to escape physical death. It's coming for all of us, and by the way, life's going fast. 
And there is a tension that hangs in the air because we are going to stand before a holy and just God who has enabled the Son to be judge over us and we are going to stand there and we're going to hold out our hands and he's going to say, what do you offer in exchange for your soul? And we don't even have strength to lift a finger. And if we can't say the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we're cast into the lake of fire and that tension can be dealt with. And we who were at enmity with God can have peace with God, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is only offered in Jesus Christ. It's not a continuous process. It's a transaction that he gives us salvation in. And you don't have to wait to get to heaven to begin enjoying eternal life. You are gifted eternal life in that moment here and now. And at that point, there is no longer any condemnation. That's what he writes in Romans chapter 8. When we confess our sins, John tells us he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means that at salvation, I'm forgiven for all the sins that I've already committed to this point and all the ones that I'm going to commit down the line. I'm saved from the penalty of death. I am no longer condemned. And the accuser of the brethren, who is the devil, tries to accuse my conscience and tries to tell me I'm not good enough. But Paul's already written, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm saved forever and all time. Every one of us at this moment are shooting our shot at life. You say, now, dude, this whole time you've had hay bales here. What in the world are the hay bales for? I have arrows as well, and that should make you nervous because these arrows are practice arrows, but they are pretty sharp arrows, and they said, we could bring in like a crossbow or something, and I was like, have you been watching the news and uh, the movie set in New Mexico? I don't want a crossbow. I don't want any bow, and if you've ever seen me handle a bow, you'd be like, we don't want him to have a bow. That guy looks like he's never done an outdoorsy thing in his life. I haven't, and these are sharp. We're all shooting our shot at life. And the fact is, every one of us are listening to the book of Romans, and the Apostle Paul is so confrontational. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, and we pause. And I think the Apostle Paul adds the next three words for a church like us that's in the South. No, not one. Because every one of us thinks to ourselves, hmm, Grandma was pretty straight shooting. Grandma, if pastor, anybody could merit heaven, Grandma, whose biscuits, by the way, at least the recipes out there in the lobby this morning, Grandma was good. All right, let's say Grandma's real good and Grandma makes it pretty close to the target. Now, every one of us can think of a wicked, vile person. Maybe it's our neighbor who plays loud music at night. I don't know. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. I don't know. Maybe it's one of your teenage children. Maybe it's somebody you think about in eighth grade and you think, that dirty, rotten scoundrel, I don't care how hard they try, they're way down there in the dirty gross bale. The one that you're smelling, it's that one. The one that's activating your allergies, it's down there. Here's the reality of the situation. Here is where we have to get Right there. That's where we have... Anything else is a lost cause. Anything else is futile. 
This is the holiness. This is the glory of God. That's the righteousness of God. It's a dead bullseye hit. Now, you might live really good and make it just outside the target. You may be a dirty, rotten scoundrel and be way off. You may be so filthy and foul that you miss the target altogether. But here's the reality according to Scripture. Here's how all of us start. You can't hit the target. You're already broken, irreparably broken. You're already a sinner. There's no way in your one shot toward the holiness of God you'll ever make it because you begin broken. But here's the beauty. Jesus already hit the bullseye. And when you were born under the penalty of sin, and you know as as sure as you're sitting here that you have chosen to commit acts of sin, and unwillingly you have sinned, you're a sinner. And so no matter how much you try to get into that target, you're going to miss, man. Even if you live real, real good, you don't even hit the target, much less the bullseye. And so God comes to you and he says, here it is. Jesus has already hit the bullseye. So you who are broken irreparably, place your trust not in the shot you're shooting, not in the arc of your flight, not in the nature of your arrow, but in the finished work of Jesus, who's already center bullseye. And you will not ever be a person who misses or down low. You're right there with him. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, as we wrap, it is simply this as a fact. Everyone on the face of this earth has sinned. Everyone on the face of this earth is a sinner by nature, all under the penalty of sin. No one on this planet wants to be told They're broken. They're guilty because it's an uncomfortable truth, but your sin must be dealt with. And the way God in his eternal plan, and you'd like to think this was Baptistic, and you'd like to think, of course you mentioned hell. There's Baptist on your sign and you're wearing a suit. I knew it'd be about hell. Hell's in the Bible. Hell's not Baptistic. Hell might as well be Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, pagan. Hell's real. It's eternal, and it's where you go if your sins aren't forgiven. And so God, he's not mean and cranky and caustic and angry sending you to hell. He says, I love you, even though you're a sinner. So I sent Jesus, who's hit sinner bullseye. Stop worrying about how you're going to make it. Capitulate, surrender to me on my terms. I've already declared the plan from time immemorial. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Stop. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.